I agree with uh, Christine in, in terms of position. That's what happens when I have the wrong thing highlighted. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what, Mansur? New opener is highlighted, but it started playing something else. This is what I told you about the program that we use. Sometimes they do, uh, what did you call it? They do the okey-doke on us. All right, here's the actual new opener. Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609- 3711. All right, one of the big stories we're going to talk about today, the FDA panel unanimously recommending emergency use authorization for COVID vaccines for 5 to 11-year-old children. Now, one member of the panel said we won't really know how safe the jab is on kids until they start getting it. Remind you of uh, Nancy Pelosi and Obamacare? <laughs> well, we'll just have to have to pass it so you can find out what's in it. <laughs> anyway, got details coming up on that. Uh, first, first, uh, I want to give you the latest on Dan Bongino, who is not only a great American, but a brave American. Uh, Dan Bongino is syndicated by Westwood One, which is a company owned by Cumulus Media, the company that fired me and a number of other people for refusing to get the jab for the China virus. Now, Dan himself was already vaccinated because he was a cancer survivor and his doctor recommended it. But he told Cumulus last week, um, you either rehire these people or you lose me. And since he's on Cumulus talk radio stations in every market in which Cumulus has talk radio stations and a whole bunch of other stations, I've heard he's up to like 300 affiliates, uh, that made life kind of difficult for Cumulus. Anyway, um, here's the latest on Brother Bongino's situation. This is a little article from a guy named Lance Venta over at RadioInsight.com. Um there are a number of radio news websites which mostly only people in radio look at. Normal people don't look at them, but these are um, websites that print news about what's going on in the radio industry. <clears throat> so anyway, here's what Lance Venta says. Uh, the internal battle between Cumulus Media and their Westwood One syndicated Noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, conservative talk host Dan Bongino has taken another turn this week as the company has placed his radio show in best-of mode. In other words, you're not hearing live Dan Bongino on the radio this week. You're just hearing best of Dan. They've placed his radio show in best-of mode while Bongino continues to host it for his other platforms. Well, he doesn't host it for his other platforms. He does podcasts and videos, but... It's different than the radio show. Anyway, 
Bongino last week attacked Cumulus for its COVID-19 vaccine mandate, stating, and I quote, Cumulus is going to have to make a decision with me if they want to continue this partnership or they don't, but I'm talking to you on their airwaves. They don't have to let that happen. You have a choice. I work with you. I do not work for you. I never will. You may have had other people in a corner, but you don't have me, unquote. He has continued with this message daily on his shows. Well, that means last week, not this week, because they're running Best of Dan this week. With Bongino's radio show running replays this week, Westwood One told affiliates, quoting now, Dan has not taken significant time off since launching the show and is taking a well-deserved vacation, unquote. However, Bongino has continued with his podcast and various video streams in which he told listeners, quote, This fight has been wearing me down, but it's not wearing me out, but I, but I do need your help. There are other people out there that work with Cumulus and elsewhere. I can't do this alone. We could have done some special things here, especially with that radio show, but I'm not giving up this fight. I'm working on some possible avenues now. It's not easy. They're making it very difficult for a lot of us, unquote. He ended the segment with a clue about what this whole battle may really be about. Quote, if you trust your content, don't ever sign long-term deals with anyone. They may have a victory over you, what they perceive to be a victory, but I promise you it is pyrrhic. Some people need to find out, find that out the hard way. Okay, first of all, first of all, nobody who's paying attention believes that Dan Bongino is taking a vacation, well-deserved or not. I mean, that's not what's happening here, clearly. By the way, a Pyrrhic victory, P-Y-R-R-H-I-C, talks about a victory won at too great a cost to have been worthwhile for the person that won it or the entity that won it. So the insight here from Luke Venta, pardon me, Lance Venta over at uh, RadioInsight.com, The insight, those comments make it seem that Bongino has realized he's on the losing end of this battle. Most of the lawsuits challenging the validity of the mandates have so far been denied. Oh, really? You haven't seen. You haven't seen what's coming down the pike on lawsuits challenging the validity of the mandate. But then again, I'm not Lance Venta over at RadioInsight.com. He says, but Bongino's comments regarding his regret over signing a long-term contract spotlights what may really be in play here. Multiple sources indicate Bongino does not enjoy hosting a three-hour daily show and had been looking for ways to cut back to the hour-long length of his podcast and video shows with no success. Oh, come on! That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You sign up for a three-hour daily radio talk show and then you get a few months into it and say, gee, I'd like to just do one hour. I, 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 don't, I don't believe this guy Lance Venta at RadioInsight.com. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Is he trying to imply that Bongino is using his protest over the vaccine mandate? to try to get out of doing a three-hour daily radio show 
for which he's being handsomely paid? No, 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 no. Come on. Come on, Lance Venta. Give me a break. Give me a break. He says he can't quit as cumulus likely would keep him under contract preventing Bongino to work anywhere else. I think he means from working anywhere else in radio, leaving this battle as a way to try to force cumulus to let him out of his contract. This guy at Radio Insight seems to be implying that Bongino was just looking for a way to get out of a three-hour daily show. That's ridiculous. Anyway, um, look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, Dan Bongino really put it all on the line when he went out there last week, Monday of last week, and said that uh, Cumulus was going to have to choose between him and the vaccine mandate, all right? And so um, what I said at the time on the 19th, I said, I have no idea how to reach Dan Bongino. I, I tagged him on Twitter. I said, but... I hope I have the opportunity to thank him someday for speaking up for people like me who were fired by Cumulus Media for not taking the jab. God bless you, Dan. You embody the spirit of Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. And those are a couple of verses in Proverbs that talk about speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And I did hear from Dan Bongino privately. Uh, on Facebook, you call it a private message. On Twitter, you call it a DM, a direct message. Uh, within 10 minutes after putting that up there. And that was that was just phenomenal. I mean, for a guy who I'm sure is making millions to say you're very welcome, my friend. I'm not going to let you stand alone. I was following your story. I wasn't going to abandon you. I mean, wow. That just... Uh, was a surreal experience because I didn't even know he knew who I was. And then to find out that so, he had mentioned me, yeah, I don't know where that came from to find out that he had mentioned me, um, on his podcast the day before on Monday, the 18th, and then mentioned me later on his radio show. Um, I really appreciate this guy. This takes a lot of guts doing what he's doing. It takes a lot of guts. And so be praying for uh, Brother Dan Bongino. All right. Um, that having been said, yesterday the, the board of the FDA that recommends whether a vaccine should be approved for emergency use authorization. They, uh... Additionally, the risk... They, uh... Hello, my name... I, I don't know. I don't know why that's happening. I'm just scrolling past something on Twitter, and all of a sudden you get video. Um, they met yesterday. They met yesterday to talk about 
whether the vaccines should be approved for kids 5 to 11, okay? And so I want to share some of that with you. One of the guys on the FDA board, a guy named Dr. Rubin, pulled the uh, pulled the uh, Nancy Pelosi the Nancy Pelosi card when she said you're going to have to vote for Obamacare so we can find out what's in it. Yeah, this was uh, this is crazy. And it's only about six seconds long. And it went something like this. We're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we start giving it. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. We're never going to learn about how safe the vaccine is unless we just start giving it. That's just the way it goes. Okay? That's just the way it goes. So, uh... That's nuts. But I've got more. I've got more. And, and, and by the way, there are a lot of former... I think I figured out, by the way, while the audio is is jumping in every once in a while, if, you, uh, if you're scrolling on Twitter and you scroll past something that you played the audio of like an hour ago, all of a sudden it will jump in. Now you can scroll past, you can scroll past other videos that you haven't played and they won't jump in. (laughs) So that's nuts. It's a nutty world. It's a nutty world. Let me, uh, let me give you some more here. One of the people that spoke to the FDA yesterday, to the FDA board, is a guy named Luke Luke Yamaguchi. And I think he made a number of uh, good points because I'm not a doctor. Doc's just a nickname. But I, I predict you're going to see some really, really bad results if you start giving five-year-olds an experimental jab. Hello, my name is Luke Yamaguchi. I have no financial conflicts of interest to disclose. From March through October of last year, children 5 to 14 years old had a 1 in a million chance of dying with COVID-19 in the United States. For perspective, children in this age group were about 10 times more likely to die from suicide than from COVID-19. A recent article in the New York Times cited data showing that unvaccinated 5 to 11-year-old children are actually at less risk of hospitalization from COVID-19 than fully vaccinated older adults. You got that? Recent study in the New York Times says unvaccinated children 5 to 14 are at less risk of hospitalization than fully vaccinated adults. So why the push? Why the push to get five-year-olds vaccinated for something that, that, that is not a threat to them? Follow the money, right? 
For children 5 to 11 years old, the weekly rate of COVID-19-associated hospitalization has ranged from zero to a peak of 1.1 per 100,000 population. It's ridiculous. It's re- I, Look, I'm not going to play the rest of it because the, the audio is very difficult to listen to um, when you're doing a podcast. But suffice it to say, there are serious concerns here that are being totally discounted. Totally discounted by the FDA board. All right, we, we got, this is only about a minute long. Peter Dashi, the senior editor for the British Medical Journal, was in a roundtable discussion with other healthcare types yesterday. And he said this. I agree with uh, Christine in, in terms of position uh, on vaccinated children. But I just wanted to add to this uh, a statistic that came up, again, one of the presentations, but we didn't spend much time on it, but I think is really important, which is that a very substantial minority, uh, perhaps given uh, Delta's r- rate of transmission, uh, a majority uh, now or in the near future, of children may already have been infected, most of which were asymptomatic, presumably. Um, those are the official data, yet a lot of these discussions about shall I get the vaccine or not seem to be happening in the absence of any sense of whether that individual has had the infection naturally. And I think that's a, a huge consideration that needs a bit more attention. Uh, there, that study, I think it was in one of the talks today, uh, analyzing the risk of myocarditis versus after vaccine versus after natural infection. Uh, and in this case, with a younger people finding that the risks were higher uh, uh, post-vaccine. Okay, that's the uh, senior editor of the British Medical Journal. The risk of myocarditis is higher after you get the vaccine. That's what he just said. That's what he just said. Now, the Washington Post yesterday reported that Dr. Deborah Burks told congressional investigators that the Trump White House was distracted by the election and ignored pandemic recommendations. Dr. Deborah Burks, who used to be White House COVID coordinator. She said, uh, I felt like the White House had gotten somewhat complacent through the campaign season. Now, the great Sean Davis over the Federalist said, is that the same Deborah Burks who told people to spend Thanksgiving alone while she secretly traveled to go visit her family? Because if that's the same Deborah Burks, she should shut up and go away because she's a clown. Yeah. Yes, she is. So, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this to you. Sometimes at a loss for words, and that's why I'm glad that there are other people around who aren't. The great Rahim Kassam, editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, says, I would just like to remind you that Big Pharma 
big tech, the corporate media, and the Chinese Communist Party colluded to hand Joe Biden the election, and then they had to militarily occupy Washington, D.C. in case enough people realized. He said, honestly, shame on the National Guard. Wow. Emerald Robinson, the great White House correspondent for Newsmax, says the only reason to give children age 5 through 11 one of the new vaccines is because parents want to give their kids the gift of myocarditis for Christmas. Oh. Yeah. That's what it looks like. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Bobby Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy was um, Attorney General of the United States of America, and he uh, was the brother of the assassinated uh, President John F. Kennedy. And uh, he was running for president. Yeah, he was running for president. He had been elected uh, United States Senator from New York. He was running for president in 1968 when he was assassinated by a guy named Sirhan Sirhan from the Middle East who was upset with Bobby Kennedy um, for being a staunch supporter of Israel. Anyway, so Robert F. Kennedy and his wife Ethel had a lot of children. And one of them is his namesake. One of them is his namesake, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has a book coming out called The Real Anthony Fauci. It's coming out November 16th. And he's got a an excerpt. He's got an excerpt from the book, The Real Anthony Fauci. In, in, in light of the recent news that Fauci's agency gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to researchers in Tunisia to drug beagle puppies and put their heads inside enclosures where there are a bunch of hungry sand flies who basically ate them alive. So I got a little excerpt here from Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and he says, In 1965, my father kicked down the door of the Willowbrook State School on Staten Island, New York City, where pharmaceutical companies were conducting cruel and often deadly vaccine experiments on incarcerated children. Robert Kennedy declared Willowbrook a snake pit and promoted legislation to close the institution and end the exploitation of children. Fifty-five years later, national media and Democratic Party sackums, I don't know the meaning of that word, 
I meant to look it up. S-A-C-H-E-M-S. Oh, a sachem is like a chief, a boss, or a leader. Like a, like a mafia sachem, like a, like a Don Corleone. Capiche? So, anyway, he says 55 years later, national media and Democrat Party bosses have beatified a man. That means like he's a saint, right? Have beatified a man who presided over similar atrocities, somehow elevating him to a kind of secular sainthood. What dark flaw in Anthony Fauci's character allowed him to oversee and then cover up the atrocities at Incarnation Children's Center. The atrocities at Incarnation Children's Center. So he links to an, an, an article from the National Institutes of Health, research involving wards of the state protecting particularly vulnerable children. In 2005, allegations arose that hundreds of children in foster care and state institutions were improperly enrolled in HIV drug trials in the late 1980s and early 1990s. So Fauci covered that up. That's what Bobby Kennedy Jr. is saying. Fauci covered it up. What dark flaw in Anthony Fauci's character allowed him to oversee and then cover up the atrocities in Incarnation Children's Center. At very best, there must be some arrogance or imperiousness that enables Dr. Fauci to rationalize the suffering and deaths of children as acceptable collateral damage and what he sees as his noble search for new public health innovations. At worst, he is a sociopath who has pushed science into the realm of sadism. Recent disclosures support the latter interpretation. Freedom of Information documents obtained in January 2021 by the White Coat Waste Project show Dr. Fauci approved a 424000 grant from the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases in 2020 for experiments in which dogs were bitten to death by flies. The insects carried a disease-carrying parasite that can affect humans. The researchers strapped capsules containing infected flies to the bare skin of 28 healthy beagle puppies and kept them in agonizing suffering for 196 days before euthanizing them. NIAID acknowledged it subjected other animals, including mice, Mongolian gerbils, and rhesus monkeys to similar experiments. That same year, Dr. Fauci's agency gave $400,000 to University of Pittsburgh scientists to graft the scalps of aborted babies onto living mice and rats. NIAID sought to develop rat and mouse models using full-thickness fetal skin to provide a platform for studying human skin infections. Well, that's kind of like Mengele, right? Kind of like Dr. Mengele there from uh, Auschwitz, World War II. Dr. Fauci's sidekick and putative boss, Francis Collins, who claims to be a pious Catholic, kicked in a $1.1 million sweetener from the 
National Institutes of Health for this malignant project. Of all the desperate public health needs in America, of all the pain that a well-spent $2 million might alleviate, Tony Fauci and his government confederates deemed these demented and inhumane experiments the most worth, worthwhile expenditures of America's taxpayer dollars. These disclosures beg many other questions. From what moral wilderness did the monsters who devised and condoned these experiments descend upon our idealistic country? How have they lately come to exercise such tyrannical power over our citizens? What sort of nation are we if we allow them to continue? Most trenchantly, does it not make sense that the malevolent minds, the elastic ethics, the appalling judgment, the arrogance, and savagery that sanctioned the barbaric brutalization of children at the incarceration convent house and the torture of animals for industry profit could also concoct a moral justification for suppressing life-saving remedies and prolonging a deadly epidemic. Hello? Hope you're paying that, paying attention to that. Because they do. They do suppress life-saving remedies. They don't want to talk about ivermectin. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. says, could these same dark alchemists justify a strategy of prioritizing their $48 billion vaccine project ahead of public health and human life? Did similar hubris, that deadly human impulse to play God, pave the lethal path to Wuhan and fuel the reckless decision to hack the codes of creation and fabricate diabolical new forms of life, pandemic superbugs, and a ramshackle laboratory with scientists linked to the Chinese military. He says, on my birthday in January 1961, three days before I watched my uncle John F. Kennedy take his oath as president of the United States, outgoing President Dwight Eisenhower in his farewell address warned our country about the emergence of a military-industrial complex that would obliterate our democracy. In that speech, President Eisenhower made an equally urgent, although less celebrated, warning against the emergence of a federal bureaucracy which he believed posed an equally dire threat to America's constitutions and her values. Quoting now, In this revolution, research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor tinkering in his shop has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research, partly because of the huge costs involved. A government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. Are you getting this? The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely 
to be regarded. We must be alert to the danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite, end quote. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. here says, Eisenhower demanded that we guard against this insipid brand of tyranny by entrusting our government to responsible officials ever vigilant against the deadly gravities of technocratic power and industry money that would pull our nation away from democracy and humanity and into diabolical, dystopian savagery. One last quote from Eisenhower. He said, It is the task of statesmanship to mold to balance and to integrate these and other forces, new and old, within the principles of our democratic system ever aiming toward the supreme goals of our free society, unquote. Bobby Kennedy concludes, during his half-century as a government official, Dr. Fauci has utterly failed in this charge. As we shall see, he has used his control of billions of dollars to manipulate and control scientific research to promote his own and the NIAID's institutional self-interest and private profits for his pharma partners to the detriment of America's values, her health, and her liberties. Of late, he has played a central role in undermining public health and subverting democracy and constitutional governance around the globe and in transitioning our civil governance toward medical totalitarianism. Just as President Eisenhower warned, Dr. Fauci's COVID-19 response has steadily deconstructed our democracy and elevated the powers of a tyrannical medical technocracy. All right, that is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., his new article entitled Beyond Beaglegate, Fauci's Long History of Atrocities, Including Torturing Children. And I will link to it on my Facebook page, and we'll see. We'll see if uh, Facebook will suspend me again or finally just come right out and outright ban me. Um, so there's a, there's a young man who has a podcast named Chris O'Brien, and he recently interviewed me for his podcast. And he was kind enough um, not only to reach out to me to do that, but to send me a promo. And this is kind of nice because uh, it's promoting when my interview will be coming up on his podcast, number one. And number two, it gives me a chance to take a drink of water and clear my throat while actually playing a promo by a professional-sounding guy instead of the cheesy little liner that I put together myself. So let's do that. This is, uh, what, 60 seconds, and we shall... Uh, return momentarily. It's Chris, host of the Ozone Daily Download with Chris O'Brien. I like spiders, and I hate vaccines. So when I find out that Doc Washburn stood by his principles and told his employer, Cumulus, that no, I'm not taking an experimental jab that's only in emergency use, and he lost his job for his principles. Then he goes and starts this podcast you're listening to right now, and he is finally able to talk about what he wants to talk about 
and that's the kind of guy I want to interview. So we did. And just in time for most people's commute this Friday, our OView drops at 4 p.m. Eastern. It's Doc Washburn, like you've never heard him before. To listen, just go to Spotify or the iHeart app and just type in the Ozone Daily Download with Chris O'Brien. You don't want to miss this. All right, so there you go. There you go. Uh, thank you, Mr. O'Brien. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So, so they're going to start um, vaccinating five-year-olds. And for no particular purpose other than the money. Other than the money. By the way, NPR, of all places, NPR, and, and thank you to Dr. Joseph Mercola for linking to this on Twitter. NPR reporting that um, emergency rooms are now swamped with patients having blood clots, heart conditions, and suicide injuries. Not COVID. Blood clots, heart conditions, and suicide injuries. Well, the blood clots and heart conditions, I wonder how many of those are related to having gotten the jab. You know what I'm saying? I wonder how many of those are related to people getting the jab. By the way, by the way, The FDA committee members recommending the jab? Patrick Halley over at nationalfile.com says you got a huge conflict of interest here. The FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, which held a virtual meeting, Tuesday, October 26th, yesterday, as we're doing this live stream, to discuss authorizing a Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccine for children between the ages of 5 to 11 years old. Got kind of a problem here. The committee has a lot of sway with the FDA, and their findings will be relevant considering the Biden administration is getting ready to ship vaccines to elementary schools, and California has already mandated the vaccine for school children pending federal authorization. We've got kind of, kind of a problem here. The meeting roster shows numerous members of the committee and temporary voting members have worked for Pfizer or have major connections to Pfizer. Well, knock me over with a leaf. Members include a former vice president of Pfizer vaccines, a recent Pfizer consultant, a recent Pfizer research grant recipient, a man who mentored a current top Pfizer vaccine executive. A man who runs a center that gives out Pfizer vaccines, the chair of a Pfizer data group. A guy who was proudly photographed taking a Pfizer vaccine and numerous people who are already on the record supporting coronavirus vaccines for children. Meanwhile, recent FDA commissioner Scott Gottlieb is on Pfizer's board of directors. You know, I wonder... 
if any of these Pfizer folks have uh, have bought any of these so-called paintings Hunter Biden has done. Do you reason? Uh, do, do you realize that Hunter Biden's paintings now are are selling at a higher cost than people are paying for Picassos? Do you know that? I just thought I might mention that. And they won't say who's buying them. They won't say who's buying them. You know, I got to tell you, I really, I really got to learn to, uh, <laughs> to turn the phone ringer down before I do the show. But such is life. Such is life. So Steve Kirsch, the guy who founded COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund, entrepreneur, philanthropist, environmentalist. Here's what he said about his testimony yesterday for that uh, FDA committee. He says what they want to do is vaccinate 28 million kids to maybe save 14 lives. And his presentation pointed out that the vaccine will kill 120 kids for every kid it might save from a COVID death. He says, even if I'm wrong by 100 times, this is insane. Why won't anyone prominent debate me on a recorded Zoom call? Well, I think I think the answer there is uh, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Sometimes the questions kind of answer themselves. You know what I'm saying? Now, when I was doing the uh, the local talk radio show in, in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, from time to time I would talk to somebody from the Arkansas Department of Health, and I just never could get straight answers from these people. You know what I'm saying? Just never could get straight answers from these people. So I was not surprised. Um, the, the top epidemiologist for the Arkansas Department of Health, for the, for the whole state of Arkansas, um, recently was on the, the morning show of the station that I was fired from. And the morning show host asked her, um, so how many people have died from the vaccine? She said, none. Okay, that's a lie. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. See, there's this thing called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It's a national vaccine safety surveillance program co-sponsored by the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The purpose of the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System is to detect possible signals of adverse events associated with vaccines. It collects and analyzes information from reports of adverse events, possible side effects that occur after the administration of U.S. licensed vaccines. It says here, reports are welcome from all concerned individuals, patients, parents, healthcare providers, pharmacists, and vaccine manufacturers. 
And there are a number of cases on there of people who clearly, obviously died from side effects from the vaccine. I wonder how many other epidemiologists paid by the government will go on the radio and say, no, nobody's died from the vaccine. Man. People get paid to lie, I'm telling you. People get paid to lie. So, this was kind of interesting. One of the guys I follow on Twitter is a guy who goes by the name Zuby Music. He's a rapper, author, podcaster, speaker. He's got over half a million followers on Twitter. And he said, this evening, I'm, and he's from Great Britain, he said, this evening I met some guys from Waterford in Ireland. They said in their town, they said their town has the highest Rona vaccination rate in all of Ireland, over 99.5% of people over 18 years old, but it now has the highest rates of infection in the country. How'd that happen? And he links to an article about it from the Irish Times. Waterford City District has state's highest rate of COVID-19 infections. County also has highest rate of vaccination in, in the whole Irish Republic. Well, how'd that happen? See, these are the kinds of things they don't want us to know about. And I think part of the push to try to force people to get Vaccinated is they don't want a control group of people unvaccinated. You know what I'm saying? Now, we have a lot of people who listen to the Doc Washburn show, download the podcast in the Lone Star State, the great state of Texas. Don't mess with Texas. And there's a Texas woman named Jill Weatherford. She is a, a medical doctor, physician, scientist, MedPads ID and tropical medicine, director of medical education at the Baylor College of Medicine's National School of Tropical Medicine. Says she's a mom, a traveler, a sports enthusiast. This Kalamazoo College, Michigan State University College of Human Medicine, and Baylor College of Medicine, all of which she's an alumni of. And so uh, she's got a picture of her four-year-old with a Band-Aid on his arm. She says, today my four-year-old had the privilege of participating in the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial at Texas Children's Hospital for two- to four-year-olds. We are thankful to the scientists, pharmacists, and others involved in the vaccine development process for working to keep our children safe. U.S. Representative Thomas Massey said, is thank you for your sacrifice the appropriate 
token of gratitude. She had a four-year-old, a little kid who's not at risk from COVID, jabbed. I mean, the comments on Twitter are incendiary. The thought of putting a child at risk for no other reason than to protect the elderly is absolutely disgusting. And the fact that you're a doctor doing it to your own child is horrendous. If something happens to your child, I hope the authorities deal with you harshly. Another one says, OMG, why put your child into a medical experiment? Um, Another one says, I can't fathom offering my child up for this and then posting online to score the social points. The numbers simply don't justify putting your child in front of any risk, shaking my head. Another one says, the privilege of having a mother who's prepared to risk the health or maybe even the life of her child for no reason. It's wrong on every level. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm not the first one to say this. And there are a lot smarter people than I who have said this. There are a lot better people than I who have said this. But our nation has a spiritual problem. We, we have a spiritual problem. Um, our Lord said that the eye is the light of the body, but if the eye is dark, how great is the darkness? It's crazy. Kyle Becker over beckernews.com. Stunning new data. COVID case rates among the fully vaccinated are now higher than the not vaccinated. Just came out today. I'll put it on my Facebook page. The American people have been inundated with the phrase pandemic of the unvaccinated as the White House has embarked on a relentless push for universal COVID vaccination for months, regardless of medical necessity. But new data out of the UK throws into question whether vaccination is a public health matter at all. Given that the so-called vaccine's ability to slow the spread is dubious at best, the UK's data, although flawed, are still some of the most useful data in the world for investigating COVID rates and vaccination effects. The public health agency is direct about noting stunning developments in the case rates. Quote, the rate of a positive COVID-19 test is substantially lower in vaccinated individuals compared to unvaccinated individuals up to the age of 29. Again, this is a report from Public Health England. But then they say in individuals aged greater than 30, the rate of a positive COVID-19 test is higher in vaccinated individuals compared to unvaccinated. This is likely to be due to a variety of reasons, including differences in the population of vaccinated and unvaccinated people, as well as differences in testing patterns. So if you're over 30, you're more likely 
to get COVID if you are vaccinated. How about that? How about that? Now, there's a lot of other stuff going on here that I want to get to. Does anybody remember a couple of years ago when the governor of Virginia went on a radio station, Washington, D.C., WTOP, which covers a lot of Northern Virginia, and was explaining why he supported an infanticide. Virginia was trying to pass a law that if a baby somehow survived an abortion, that baby should be given medical care, and he was against that, and he explained that. And then a few days later, as this was kind of blowing up and making Democrats and their pro-abortion stance look pretty bad, all of a sudden somebody came out with a yearbook of when Governor Ralph Northam was in medical school, and uh, there was a picture of him and one other fella. Ralph Northam was in blackface, and the other fella had a KKK hood on. And also, the medical school yearbook for Ralph Northam back in the day. Now, again, remember, he wasn't a high school student. He wasn't even a college student. He's a full-grown man at this point in medical school. They said his uh, nickname was Coon Man, which I'd always been told was racist. But see, Ralph Northam, he was uh, from the old school Democrat Party when you could be openly racist. Anyway, so Joe Biden, a couple of years ago when all this came out, called Ralph Northam a racist and said he had to resign. But Joe Biden was at a campaign event last night for a guy named Terry McAuliffe, who used to be the governor of Virginia, is now running again since Ralph Northam isn't running. And Joe Biden now was talking about what a wonderful guy Ralph Northam is and, and, and their pals. What a difference a couple of years makes. Goes without saying how much I appreciate your current governor, Ralph Northam. Where's Ralph? There you are, pal. A couple of years ago, he said he was a racist who had to resign. Well, you know, the great Tony Schaefer had a comment on this. <laughs> he says, well, white sheet Joe Biden was mentored by and eulogized and exalted Cyclops of the KKK. Talking about Robert Byrd, of course. The great Tony Schaefer, president of the London Center for Policy Research. And that's true. That's true. Don't ever let anybody tell you that after the civil rights legislation passed in the mid-60s, Republicans and Democrats traded places. Don't ever let anybody tell you that. That all of a sudden the Republicans said, hey, why don't we, why don't we become the racist party and you guys can, 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 Turn your backs on your racist roots, and you Democrats be the Civil Rights Party. No. No, don't ever. Don't ever. 
Now, here's what I want to ask to all these Republican members of Congress who say there's no point in impeaching Biden, even though the Constitution says you're supposed to impeach somebody for treason. Have you heard this uh, new exclusive from the Washington Free Beacon? Came out last night. Email shows Biden ordered Afghanistan evacuation flights be filled with unvetted refugees. Really? During America's chaotic exit from Afghanistan earlier this year, the Biden administration issued a directive that evacuation flights be filled to excess with refugees who had not been properly vetted before arriving in America, according to an internal administration communication disclosed yesterday by Senator Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri. An August 16th email to U.S. officials involved in the exit from Afghanistan said, quote, total inflow to the U.S. must exceed the number of seats available Air on the side of excess, this guidance provides clear disc- discretion and direction to fill seats and to provide special consideration special consideration for women and children when we have seats, unquote. Now, Josh Hawley, Center of Missouri, who says he obtained the email through a U.S. official who was outraged by the Biden administration's failure to vet Afghan refugees flown into America, published the email yesterday afternoon on Twitter. Hawley maintains... Afghan refugees were not thoroughly screened with intensive interviews before they arrived in the United States. He wrote, This email was shared with me by an American official present in Afghanistan during the evacuation who was shocked by administration's failure to vet Afghans before they were evacuated. Email details orders from Joe Biden to fill up the planes even without vetting. The email, which has the subject line, Presidential Directive, provides some of the firmest proof to date that the Biden administration decided to forego proper vetting procedures in its rush to evacuate scores of Afghans following the Taliban's takeover just weeks after the U.S. military retreated from the country. So Josh Hawley pressed the issue yesterday during a Senate hearing with Colin Call, the Pentagon's Undersecretary for Defense Policy and the administration official largely responsible for overseeing the Biden administration's botched evacuation. Hawley said, we now know that we got major problems of vetting of the people who were brought to this country, who were evacuated and brought to this country. So you testified in September that those evacuated, about 6,000 American citizens, you testified in September that the special immigrant visas were about 1,200 to 1,300 people. That leaves about over 116,000 people, based on the 124,000 NEO number that you've been offering, over 116,000 people who are not citizens, who are not people who apply for special immigrant visas, and we just don't know much about who were those, those people. So Colin Cowell, Pentagon's Undersecretary for Defense Policy, the administration official largely responsible for overseeing the Biden administration's botched evacuation, in response to Hawley's question, said that about 84% of the Afghans evacuated by the Biden administration were deemed to be at risk under Taliban rule. He said it's a mishmash of a lot of different categories. Well, now, here's the thing. We're supposed to believe that the overwhelming majority of people 
that the Taliban allowed to get into the airport and onto the planes were in danger from the Taliban. You know, we have a saying in the South, and I hope uh, our northern listeners will forgive me, but that dog won't hunt. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That dog won't hunt. Not even. Not even. And now our intel community assesses the Afghanistan-based terrorist groups ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda intend to attack the United States. Well, let's see. Our southern border is wide open. And we left these people, what was it, $83 billion worth of military equipment. Yeah. And and, and y'all still don't want to impeach this guy. U.S. intelligence community assesses the Afghanistan-based terrorist groups ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda intend to attack the United States and could have the ability to do so in as little as six months. In the case of ISIS-K, within a year or two, in the case of Al-Qaeda, it's what a senior Pentagon official told lawmakers yesterday. Oh, oh, it's the ever-present Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Colin Call, before the Senate Armed Services Committee, who said, I think the intelligence community currently assesses that both ISIS-K and Al-Qaeda have the intent to conduct external operations, including against the United States, but neither currently has the capability to do so. We could see ISIS-K generate that capability in somewhere between 6 to 12 months. I think the current assessment by the intelligence community is that Al-Qaeda would take a year or two to reconstitute that capability. Now, now remember, now remember, this is the same Biden DOD that said that Afghanistan could collapse and the Taliban could take over in the fall. In the fall. This is jacked up, man. This is jacked up. Well, a lot of stuff going on is whack. Washington Post reports that the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse case has said that the men that 18-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse shot can be called rioters, they can be called looters, but they cannot be called victims in the trial. And, of course, the libs are freaking out. They would rather have seen Kyle Rittenhouse dead uh, from the attacks of the people who were attacking him. Clearly, I mean, we've seen the video. He, he, he shot in self-defense. So the first comment here, the first comment from a guy named Tony Heller over at realclimatescience.com, he says the use of the word victims would imply Rittenhouse's guilt. Our legal system presumes innocence. No surprise that the Washington Post isn't familiar with due process. I hope Rittenhouse is able to sue for malicious prosecution after this whole nightmare is over. 
clear self-defense. No question about it. Now, for our listeners in Virginia, you got a gubernatorial election going on up there. Have you heard what Terry McAuliffe, former governor who wants to be governor again, have you heard what he said? Check this out. And I make the point that we've got to do a better job in our education system. We've got to go back K to six. Uh, early on, we've got to start teaching, talking about these issues much earlier than we've done it before. And we don't do a good job in our education system talking about diversity, inclusion, openness, and so forth. We don't. All right, all right, wait, 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 wait. What happened to the audio, though? What happened to the audio? All right, let's, let's, I wanted to hear the whole clip. Earlier than we've done it before, and we don't do a good job in our education system talking about diversity, inclusion, openness, and so forth. We don't. We've got our textbooks, but, you know, there has to be a big part of how, how, how do you fit in, in into the social work of our nation and our fabric? How is it that we deal with one another is, to me, is as important as, you know, your math class, your, your English class, and so forth, and we Wait. Don't. And I'm Wait, 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 wait. Terry McAuliffe says promoting diversity and inclusion in elementary schools is just as important as your math class and your English class? Really? Really? Well, now, DailyWire.com, Luke Rosiak has a new Blockbuster exclusive. McAuliffe linked law firm fighting Virginia student who said she was gang raped. Really? A law firm that employed Virginia gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe is being paid handsomely to fight victims of alleged sexual abuse in schools on behalf of a school system that the girls say failed to protect them. In one case, the law firm Hunton Andrews Kurth where McAuliffe served as a senior advisor from 2019 until recently, is battling a young woman who says that she was repeatedly raped on her Fairfax County Middle School campus as a 12-year-old and that she was slashed with a knife, burned with a lighter, anally penetrated, and gang raped. The law firm in McAuliffe's campaign did not comment on whether the law firm still employs McAuliffe, but McAuliffe reported income apparently linked to the firm in 2021 after announcing his run for governor of Virginia December 8th of last year. Later, advertisements from the firm for McAuliffe fundraisers referred to him as a former colleague. The girl in the middle school case said she was afraid of having her real name attached because one of her alleged tormentors had threatened to kill her if she came forward. The law firm is seeking to have the lawsuit thrown out because it was filed under a pseudonym even though there is no dispute that the school system knows who she is. A judge rejected the law firm's arguments, but filed an appeal on behalf of its client, the Fairfax County Public Schools, in a separate case. A girl alleged that after Fairfax County Public Schools administrators were told of an unwanted sexual incident on a band trip, a school security officer told her there was no point in seeking criminal charges the school gave an award to her alleged abuser. The law firm McAuliffe worked for told the court the school system lost, lost documentation showing its investigation of the allegations, which occurred in part because it was not using 
a sexual harassment allegation database that it had promised to use pursuant to federal settlement in the other girl's case. In both cases, a women's rights group filed amicus briefs to express opposition to the arguments of the law firm Terry McAuliffe worked for. And it goes on and on and on. So no wonder Terry McAuliffe is good buddies with Joe Biden. No wonder the late, great Rush Limbaugh called Terry McAuliffe the Clinton's bag man. Birds of a feather, don't you know? Oh, by the way, did I mention earlier? Yes, I think I did. Hunter Biden's paintings sell for more than Picasso's. That's at Bongino.com. I'll put it on my Facebook page here in a little bit. So in the interest of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, in the interest of there before the grace of God go I, Glenn Greenwald, journalist, talking about the political persecution of January 6th defendants, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, released a January 6th defendant from pretrial prison where he has been held since March after he wrote a letter promising that he has changed his political views and now hates Trump. The judge directed his father to keep Fox and MSNBC off in the House. He wrote this letter, said Trump is not a leader and should be ostracized from any political future. What he honestly needs is to do is go away. That's January 6th defendant Thomas Sibick writing a letter renouncing his political views on Trump to be released from pretrial prison. Glenn Greenwald says he should have been made to throw darts at a picture of Trump's face before he was released to prove, you know, he really meant it. Maybe Judge Amy Berman Jackson will consider that for the next defendant seeking to be released from this harsh prison despite having been convicted of no crime. They're just trying to get bail before the trials, which aren't even going to happen until next year. Prisoners who pledge loyalty to Joe Biden and write a letter highlighting Nancy Pelosi's best attributes should have their sentence reduced by at least a third. I mean, if you don't understand that we have political prisoners in this country and it doesn't concern you, I, I don't know. I can't help you, man. I can't help you. And I'm speaking to the overwhelming majority of Republican members of Congress because they don't care. They do not care. The great Julie Kelly, American Greatness, responding to this says, hunted by the FBI, called terrorist by FBI Director Christopher Wray, prosecutors asked court to deny them bail, some hauled to D.C. political prison, can't afford six-figure criminal defense lawyers. Then they're forced to repent before totalitarian judges in Washington, D.C., this is Joe Biden's America. And who in the GOP is outraged? Who is speaking against this? Very few. Very few. I mean, I know Judge Gomert has, Louis Gomert, Texas. What a great guy. What a great guy. Wish we had a congressman like him 
in the area of the country I live in, central Arkansas. Speaking of central Arkansas, we were talking about the Afghan um, refugees earlier. I'm going to give you a name that if you're outside central Arkansas, you probably are not familiar with this guy, but he's a member of the United States House of Representatives, a guy named uh, French Hill. Represents the Little Rock area, central Arkansas, in the U.S. House of Representatives. And he was on the morning show at the uh, talk radio station I used to work at a little while back, and he assured the morning show host that the uh, Afghan refugees would be vetted. Really? Because that's, hap- that's not happening and couldn't happen. And the idea that he thought it could. <sighs> um, sometimes it seems like the Republicans never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. So you've heard what's going on in Loudoun County, Virginia. That was the that was the place with the school board where they had a father arrested who was upset that they were denying that his daughter had been raped by a boy wearing a skirt in the ladies' room. And now the Washington Post is doing a, a victim shaming, saying, well, she wanted virgin anyway. Oh, okay. Loudoun County, Virginia is kind of like uh, ground zero for the battle between um, school administrators and liberal teachers who want to indoctrinate our children and parents who want to stand up against it. And that's why the National School Board Association wrote the letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland calling the parents domestic terrorists and with about half of the states in the country distancing themselves, their school board associations, the state school board associations, distancing themselves from the national organization, well, the NSBA uh, wrote an apology a couple of days ago. But uh, Merrick Garland, attorney general, testifying today before the Senate Judiciary Committee, he's like, no, we're not backing down. Yeah, we're still going to investigate. What, based on the letter that's been retracted? So I've got a little blurb here from a mother in Loudoun County, Virginia, who's talking about what happened to her six-year-old. Okay, here it is. My children are now in private school and are thriving. We had specifically moved into L- chased out of LCPS due to the swift and uncompromising political agenda of Superintendents Williams, Ziegler, and the, sc- the, and the school board that have forced upon us. First, it was in early spring of 2020 when my six-year-old somberly came to me and asked me if she was born evil because she was a white person, something she learned in a history lesson at school. Then you kept the schools closed for a year and a half despite the science indicating that it was safe for kids to return. And now you've covered up a rape, then arrested, humiliated, and falsely accused her parents of being domestic terrorists. I wish I could return my kids to LCPS. Private school is expensive, and I want my kids to be able to walk home from school with their friends in their own community. I refuse to allow you to destroy our schools. They are not your schools, they are our schools. You all should be ashamed and you should have the moral courage to admit you are wrong and step down. See, but the Washington Post says that uh, parents do not have the right, do not have the right to be involved in what kind of curriculum their uh, children are taught. That's Washington Post. You know, I said a little bit earlier on the show, and 
I hope you caught it. We're, we're, our country has a, a spiritual problem. Spiritual problem. So USA Today, Lorenzo Reyes at USA Today, I guess he's a sports reporter, says Houston Texans chairman Cal McNair used anti-Asian slur at team charity event. Really? Really? So what was the anti-Asian slur that the chairman of the Houston, Texas, Houston Texans used. We'll say they, they, they don't want to say. It was China virus. Because the virus came from China. You know? And it was, uh, I believe, manufactured in the Wuhan Institute of Virology Lab and... Um, I think the evidence is pretty clear that Fauci's agency funded it. I don't know how to break it to my uh, liberal friends, but see, a lot of the Chinese hate the Communist Chinese Party. It's not a racial thing. So, I mean, look, since Fauci funded it, should we just call it the Fauci virus? I wouldn't be racist, would it? He's a Caucasian. I'm a Caucasian. Can we do that? Yeah, why not just call it the Fauci virus? Yeah, yeah, he's still called the Wu flu because it came from Wuhan. But yeah, yeah, maybe we should call the the Fauci virus. Now, I'm talking earlier about this uh, Colin Cowell guy, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, former National Security Advisor to... Uh, Biden, when he was Veep, he's on leave from Stanford. And U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, Iowa, to her credit, got into it with him yesterday, and it went something like this. Is it true that President Biden said we wouldn't leave when there were Americans left behind? We have not left Americans behind. They continue to get out. Ball-faced liar. I keep on telling you, if you work for Biden... You get paid to lie. He knows we've left Americans behind. They continue to get out. Wait a minute. Well, they must have been left behind if they're just now getting out, right? We left Americans behind. We did not leave Americans behind. They continue to get out. How could they get out if they haven't been left behind? You bald-faced liar. See, it's in moments like this that you're tempted to curse. And you can't curse on terrestrial radio, uh, you know. Technically, you can use curse words on, on a podcast, but I just, you know, as a Christian, I just don't think it's right. So you, you have to look at other ways. Of, anyway. Did the Military DOD, you represent August the DOD, 31st. Dr. Call, did the DOD leave before all Americans were out? It was the consensus judgment that leaving on August 31st was the best way to continue. So the DOD, General Mingus, did the DOD, did our soldiers leave before all Americans were out? Yes, ma'am. The last uh, airplane left the evening of the 30th morning of the 31st of August. 
Thank you for your straightforward answer. Which she clearly wasn't getting from the other guy. So I learned a word uh, when I was in college. It's called mendacity. And uh, I learned it because one of the guys on my on my hall in the dorm, he had a teacher that uh, had this stamp with that word on it, mendacity. And uh, it means like you're BSing here. So, I mean, literally, mendacity, you look it up, it means untruthfulness. But it's not just untruthful. It's like, are you kidding me? Come on, give me a break. Give me a break. Oh, by the way, I, I haven't got a chance to mention uh, the news that came out uh, Monday night. Jill Hoft had it over the uh, Gateway Pundit. Fulton County, Georgia, ordered more than one million absentee ballots from printer days before the 2020 election, knowing there was no time to mail them out. Why'd they do that? Why'd they do that? More shocking news on Runbeck Printing Company, which supplied ballots to both Arizona and Georgia. We've already made some shocking observations about Runbeck, the Arizona printing company involved in the 2020 election in both Arizona and Georgia. It says, we know that Runbeck shipped thousands of ballots to the same guy in Georgia who was behind the calls of a water main break in Atlanta and who was behind the removal of the whistleblower from working in Georgia elections. If there was a Republican Party in Georgia who cared about the integrity of their elections, this guy would be gone. So, um, says we also know Brian Runbeck works for the company with his name. Although not listed as a member of the executive team, Brian Runbeck identifies himself as the client services manager slash project manager and production coordinator at Runbeck Election Services. He manages the production of election ballots and related official election material. He claims he handles high-pressure deadlines and high-volume production. Mr. Runbeck also made 50 separate donations to Act Blue, Biden for President, and the Democrat Senatorial Campaign Committee between August 15th and October 30th, 2020. We also know that ballots in Georgia were different for Democrat and Republican areas. This was done by the printer. Note that the barcode is missing from these ballots. This is important because, as IT specialist Javon Pulitzer noted in testimony earlier this week, the Fulton County ballots in the general election for GOP precincts include a barcode, while ballots in Democrat districts did not include the barcode. Again, if there was an actual Republican Party in Georgia who cared, this would be investigating criminals put in jail. So, a guy named Kevin Monkla reported over at Uncover DC more on runback printing. According to Monkla, Fulton County, Georgia, ordered and received over 1 million ballots from Runbeck in the last 10 days or so before the election. The ballots received were absentee ballots based on the size of the ballots ordered and related invoices. With just 10 days until the November 3rd election, there was literally no way to sort, prepare, fold, stuff, and mail out the ballots before the election, especially considering there were no envelopes ordered. That fact alone removes any possibility that they intended to mail the ballots. 
So Kevin Monclo over at UncoveredEC.com lists other reasons why this should be investigated. It makes no sense why Fulton County would need over a million absentee ballots for the 2020 election only days before Election Day, knowing they would never be mailed out. Again, if we had a Republican Party, they would get to the bottom of this. If we had a Justice Department that wanted justice, they would get to the bottom of this. If we had a Democrat Party that doesn't steal elections, this never would have happened. Now, see, that was one of the things that I was not allowed to say when I was a talk show host over at KARN in Little Rock, Arkansas, working for Cumulus Media. I was not allowed to say stolen election. I was not allowed to say stop the steal. That would be a fireable offense. And, and not because of a local program director or a local general manager. Oh, no, 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 no. Came down for corporate. The libs at corporate. They were all in. They were all in on the stolen election. Just like Fox News was all in on the stolen election. When Brett Baer called Arizona early for Biden and waited days to call some of the Trump states. When Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox News, his daughter-in-law, tweeted out on the Saturday morning after election night when they called it for Biden, we did it. Yeah. They were all in. They were all in. You know, a story I wanted to get to today that we, I guess we just kind of ran out of time. Uh, the Christian Post has a story. Nearly 70% of born-again Christians say other religions can lead to heaven. That's a, a new poll that came out. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow because the idea here is that uh, apparently a lot of people identify as Christians but have no idea what Christianity is. So we're, we're I mean, I'm sorry, we're out of time for the day. Um, we're, we're out of time for the day, but I was thinking about, so I do want to share this one last thing with you before I, I leave. Um. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter of a book in the Bible. It's right in the middle of the Bible. And it's divided up into like 22 different little sections. Apparently there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so there's a section for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And a couple of weeks ago at church, uh, the pastor challenged us to read like three of these sections each day, and then you should get through the whole thing in a week because a lot of people, they look at it, and they're like, man, it's just too long to read. Well, you chop it up in bite-sized chunks. But I just, I just want to share. I think I might start doing this at the end of each episode. Just share one little section, Psalm 119, chapter 119 out of the book of Psalms, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. 
You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. I hope that will be an encouragement to you. We, uh, we give you so much bad news. Because as the great philosopher Frank Zappa once said, more trouble coming every day. But I try to find a way to give you a little bit of good news from time to time. So, the Doc Washburn Show, episode number 12, for originally done live stream Wednesday, October 27th, comes to a close. I appreciate everything. Last we checked, we're at almost 20,000 downloads already. Um, 48 states, Nebraska checked in. That became number 48. And 20 different countries. And we appreciate everything. And, and we really appreciate you getting the word out. Really appreciating you let people know uh, what we're doing here. So until tomorrow, God bless you. And we'll see you soon.